I want us to begin with the book of Malachi. I know you've probably turned to uh, Luke this morning, but uh, turn, o- turn to the left, uh, a few books of the Bible, the last book of the Old Testament. There's a couple passages that I want to read for you. And uh, maybe as you came in this morning, you noticed the flower over here. This is uh, for uh, William and uh, Marissa Pence. They had a baby last week, and the baby's name is Samantha Kai. And uh, they were supposed to be here this morning. Maybe they're going to be at the second service. I don't know. But uh, that's uh, to acknowledge the birth of their new little girl. And uh, you guys weren't in the service last week. Well, actually... Um, Aaron and Natalie Gage, uh, they come to our second service. Uh, Aaron's the football coach for Emmanuel Christian School. Well, uh, last weekend, he was going to announce to our church that they are expecting their first child. But he said, I kind of took away their thunder because, uh, you know, when I it was Father's Day, I was going to have all the dads stand. Well, instead, I had all the men stand, and so people didn't know. But uh, they've announced that uh, they are pregnant about 12 weeks long. So that's exciting news uh, for for our church family as well. But uh, Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. There's two verses that uh, I want to read this morning that uh, coincide with our text in the book of Luke. Malachi says this in chapter 3, verse 1. Behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now jump over to chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Malachi is saying that uh, the Lord is uh, the Lord is going to send his Messiah and there is going to be a messenger that comes before him that's going to uh, prepare the way for the Messiah. And uh, this messenger is going to be like uh, the prophet Elijah. Now, jump to Luke chapter uh, 1. As we look at our text this morning, after Malachi had uh, made that prophecy, there was 400 years of silence between the book of Malachi and the New Testament Uh, God has not raised up another prophet. And even though God may have been silent, God did not stop working. God is always at work. But he is waiting. He is waiting for the day when he, in the fullness of time, according to God's great plan, according to God's sovereignty, the Messiah would come onto the scene. And before he comes onto the scene, there's going to be a prophet who's going to prepare the way for the Lord. And this morning in our text, we are looking at um, what happens in preparation for the prophet. Chapter 1, verse 5. 
In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah, or Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Here is the prophecy being fulfilled from Malachi. And to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zacharias said to the angel, How shall I know, shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring this good news. Behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he had came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived... And for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus says the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Three things I want you to see this morning uh, as we go through this text. First, I want you to see the faithfulness of a couple walking through disappointment. The third thing, second thing we're going to talk about is the sovereignty of God over all things. And then third, we're going to see the grace of God in this text. First, let's look at a couple's faithfulness in disappointment. 
Zechariah and Elizabeth are well beyond the childbearing years. And yet we see in verses 6 and 7 that they are walking faithfully with the Lord. They haven't grown, grown bitter. They may be disappointed, yes, but they remain faithful to the Lord's work. And, you know, they could, they could have grown bitter. They could have allowed circumstances to, to take the best of them away. You know, um, in uh, Jewish law, when a woman was, was uh, unable to give birth, was barren, uh, the husband had the right to divorce his wife because she couldn't give birth. Zacharias had that opportunity, but he didn't. Zacharias could have gone out and he could have committed adultery to uh, try to have someone else give birth to, to a baby, to his baby. I mean, that's what happened with Abraham and Sarah, didn't it? Back in the Old Testament, Genesis chapter 16, here uh, Sarah and Abraham had been waiting, um, uh, I believe, 10 years for a child at this point. God had promised them a son, and yet they still hadn't, Sarah still hadn't become pregnant. And so Sarah came up with a bright idea, well, here's my servant, Hagar. Abraham, you go into my servant, Hagar, and maybe she will give me a child. Abraham thought, well, that, that's a good idea. Maybe we misunderstood God. And so they tried to help God out. And what happened when they tried to help God out? They made a huge mess of things. And today we have to take our shoes off in the airport because of that foolish decision Abraham and Sarah made. That's true. Ishmael was the, the father of the Muslim nation, and Isaac, who eventually came on the scene, was the father or, or uh, 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 descendant of the nation of Israel. So, But here we see Zacharias and Elizabeth being faithful to the Lord in spite of their disappointment. Zacharias is serving in the temple. So faithfulness. The second thing we see in this passage of Scripture is we see God's sovereignty. Now, the passage opens in verse 5 that uh, it's in the days of Herod, king of Judah. I want to just say this at the outset. Church, it doesn't matter who is in political office leading this country. What matters is who's sitting on the throne of heaven. And that's God Almighty. And with God Almighty, he is completely sovereign and he's working through all kinds of leadership that his plans, that his purposes might be fulfilled. Here we see King Herod. King Herod is a wicked king. King Herod comes from uh, 
the Edomites. King Herod is not a Jew. King Herod is not really king. He's really governor of uh, the land of Judea, uh, the land of the Jews. And he came as into being king about 40 B.C. But he came from the Edomites. Who are the Edomites? The Edomites are, are people who hate the Jews. Uh, Edomites are descendants of Esau. You remember the story of uh, Isaac and Rachel and Rebekah? They had two sons, twin boys, Esau and Jacob. Esau came out first, Jacob came out second, but God says the older is going to send, uh, serve the younger. And we, we read in the book of Genesis where uh, Esau sold his birthright to, um, to Jacob. And uh, Esau and the people uh, from Esau's line always was a slave or servant to the Jews. And the Edomites hated the Jews. And we see this played out in the book of Matthew. When Jesus comes on the scene, Herod, the king, gets word of this. And uh, he goes into Bethlehem and he kills all the children, two two years of age and younger, thinking that he's going to erase this supposed king of the Jews that has come on the scene. King Herod is an Edomite. King Herod is a wicked, paranoid ruler. He is evil. If he thinks anybody is a threat to his throne, he's going to have them executed. He killed his, one of his wives, one of his ten wives, and he killed two of his sons because they were a threat to his throne. But as we look at King Herod and we look at the history, the archaeology of the land of Israel, um, King Herod built some elaborate palatial buildings. I mean, he was an egomaniac, and he wanted to bring attention to himself. And one of the things that King Herod did was he uh, renovated the Jewish temple. Uh, the Jewish temple um, by before before Christ uh, was was just a mess. It was uh, a, a dilapidated building, and King Herod wanted to do something that would honor the God of the Jews, and he wanted to do something that would bring attention to himself, and so he renovated um, the Jewish temple. And when he renovated the temple, he greatly expanded it. Um, can we bring up a picture? I don't know if you... Uh, let's bring up the other picture. That's uh, inside the temple. Um, do you see another picture up there, Amy, somewhere? This is what Temple Mount uh, looks like. Um, in the time of Solomon, it was about... Temple Mount was about half the size of what... King Herod put together. Uh, he uh, he enlarged the uh, the base of the temple uh, to twice the size. If you were to go into Jerusalem today, uh, you could go down into a temple uh, into a tunnel there in Jerusalem, and you could look at the the foundation stones, which is about uh, twenty feet below where um, 
um, uh, the the land the ground is at currently today. The archaeologists have gone beneath and uh, looked at the stones that were laid by King Herod. These stones are enormous. In fact, one of the foundation stones uh, is weighs the size of a 747. It's just enormous. And King Herod has put his signature uh, uh, on all of these stones. Uh, and so uh, King Herod has, has built this um, incredible stu- structure, and it is gorgeous. It took 46 years for the temple to be rebuilt. It was only completed about four or five years uh, before Jesus came on the scene. You look at the structure, and the people were just amazed at what King Herod was able to accomplish. Why am I telling you this? Because God Almighty is using a wicked king for his sovereign purposes. We've read Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. The Bible says that uh, the Messiah is going to come on the scene and he's going to come back to his temple. And so here we see this, this evil king preparing this temple for, for the Messiah to be able to fulfill what was prophesied by Malachi 400 years ago. God Almighty is at work. And what God is trying to tell us, I believe, in this passage of Scripture, or as we look at the life of Jesus, Jesus is the temple. You know, this temple, it's going to be torn down. Jesus says it's going to be torn down, and it's torn down by the Romans in 70 A.D. It, It no longer exists. In fact, Muslims have built a temple on top of a temple mount called the Dome of the Rock. And Jesus saying, you know, people were impressed by the structure. And Jesus says, you know, people are going to tear down this temple, speaking of himself. And three days later, I'm going to raise it up again. Disciples disciples didn't understand. It took 46 years to build this temple. What do you mean, Jesus? You're going to raise it up in three days? Jesus said, Jesus is saying, he is the temple. We, we are to look to him. He is our great high priest. We come and we come into the presence of God through Jesus Christ. We don't have to look at man-made edifices. That's not what should impress us. It's the person of Jesus Christ. In the new covenant, he is the temple. And so... Here we see God's sovereign hand at work, not only uh, through King, King Herod, but we see God's sovereignty through a dice game. The Bible says in verse 9 that uh, uh, the priests got together and they, they uh, through, through lots or through a dice game, uh, Zechariah's number came up. Now, a little bit of history of what's happening here. Zechariah is a priest, and uh, he is one of 18,000 priests in the land of Judea. 
These priests are divided up into 24 different divisions. And Zechariah comes from um, the division of Abijah. Now, um, what happened with the various divisions, two times a year, the, all the, the, a division, one of the 24 divisions, was to come to Jerusalem. And they were to serve at the temple as the people of Judah came and uh, Judea came uh, with their sacrifices. And so here Zechariah is. He's at the temple. They're casting lots. And uh, Zechariah has been this through this uh, all his ministry career. Every time lots were, the lots were thrown, Zechariah was loser, 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 loser. 30, 40, 50 years, his number had never come up. But here we see in this passage of Scripture that today Zechariah's number comes up. And what's his responsibility? His responsibility is go into the temple. Can we bring up that second picture, uh, Amy? The, 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 his responsibility is go into the temple. Now I got these pictures from the ESV study Bible. These are great illustrations of what, um, what the inside of the temple looks like. Zechariah's number is drawn, and he goes into the, the temple, and he's going to come into the holy place. Now, he's not going into the holy of holies. That, uh, that's reserved for one day out of the year for, um, uh, for the Day of Atonement. And the great high priest goes into the holy of holies. But daily, a priest is to go into uh, the holy place, and he is to put incense upon um, the altar there in front of the curtain. And he is to pray. He's to pray for the nation of Israel that God might uh, deliver his Messiah. What might have Zechariah prayed that day? He could have said something like this. Lord Jesus, please deliver us from the hands of the the Romans and King Herod, please send your Messiah as is prophesied in the book of Malachi. Oh, and by the way, Lord God, would you please give a baby to Elizabeth and I? And he got up off his knees, the Bible says, and he looked to his right And there was an angel standing before him. And Zechariah drew, became afraid. And the angel Gabriel said, Zechariah, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I love that word, do not be afraid. You know that word, that phrase, do not be afraid, is listed 365 times in the Bible. One for every day of the year. Gabriel says, do not be afraid, for today the Lord has answered your prayer. Boy, what a wonderful moment. God has orchestrated this event. Zechariah's number has come up through a dice game, and he goes in and he prays, and today God says, 
I'm going to answer your prayer. And this is where we see the grace of God at work. God answered Zechariah and Elizabeth's prayer. Question. Have you stopped praying recently? Have you grown disobedient or, or bitter and discouraged? You've kind of quit. Allow this passage to speak to your heart. Don't quit. Keep persevering. Zechariah and Elizabeth were well beyond childbearing years. Yet they continued to be faithful to the Lord's work and they continued to pray. And on this day, in the holy place, Angel Gabriel shows up and says, I've got good news, Zechariah. The Lord has answered your prayer. Don't stop. If God's delaying, God has a greater plan. God has a greater purpose. But God's going to answer your prayer. It's either going to be yes or no or wait. But regardless of where you're at, don't give up. Keep being faithful. That's what we see in this passage of Scripture. Today, Zechariah, the Lord has answered your prayer. And he goes on and he begins to describe how the Lord's going to answer his, his prayer. He's going to have a son. And um, um, as he hears this, Zechariah asks a question. How do I know? How do I know this is going to be true? And here's where it gets a little bit uh, comical. But uh, Gabriel says, I'm Gabriel. See my wings? I've been standing in the presence of God, at the throne of God, and he's told me to come to you. Folks, this isn't a fictional story. You say, do we believe in angels? Yep. Yep. That's what happens in this passage of Scripture. Why are you doubting, Zechariah? Look at me. I'm an angel. I'm Angel Gabriel. And because you have doubted what God has said, I'm going to make you mute. That's a, that's a serious consequence. He's not going to be able to speak. He's not going to be able to hear. He's going to be mute because he doubted. Don't you think that was kind of harsh of God? Why did he do that? I think God has a message for us this morning. We can't doubt. When God says something, we need to believe it. Because when we doubt, that inhibits God's activity in our life of what he wants to do. God wants us to believe in what he says before we can see it. He wants us to walk by faith and not by sight.
And because Zechariah opened his mouth and doubted, there were consequences. He was deaf and mute. He was not able to speak. And he comes out, and uh, people have been waiting quite a while. They're wondering what's going on in that place. And he comes out, and uh, he and, and Zechariah invents the game of charades. He can't say a thing. He can just make gestures. And people think, man, he must have seen a vision in there. But he goes home. Goes home, completes the week, goes home, and Elizabeth conceives. Conceives a baby. And Gabriel said to to Zechariah, you're going to name him John. Now, Speaking of God's sovereignty or God's grace and the fact that he answers his prayer, I want you to see God's grace and the fact that God chose John. God is saying, your baby John, this person John, Zechariah, he's going to be great. Herod may be the king. Herod the great, he's not great compared to what John's going to do. Zechariah, John is going to be great. And I am going to use him mightily. And the Bible says that, that, uh, <clears throat> that even in the baby's womb, or in, in Elizabeth's womb, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. God chose John. God called John his own, even in the womb. My friend, if that's not a case for election, I don't know what is. God chooses those who are going to be called his own. It's all about God's grace. My friend, we can't save ourselves. It's God who does the saving. God chose John. God's filled John with the Holy Spirit even before he was unborn. Which brings me to my third point about the grace of God. God loves the unborn. He loves the unborn. I want you to know, church... The Bible is pro-life. You might be thinking, what do you mean pro-life? We're not to be political. I'm not being political. The Bible is pro-life. We're not bringing politics into this church. It's not a moral issue when it comes to the unborn. It is a biblical issue. And the Bible says that God knows each one of those children's name. And when God looks at the unborn, God looks at the unborn as a child. If you go to verse 41 of chapter uh, chapter 1, the Bible says that uh, when Mary came into the presence of Elizabeth, Elizabeth was five months old, the Bible says the baby leaped inside her womb. John full of the Holy Spirit, in the womb, leaped at the Lord's presence when Mary came 
who was pregnant. That word for baby is the same word that's used for child. And so when God looks on a mother who's pregnant, it's not a fetus. It's not viable tissue matter. In the eyes of God, it's a child. And the Bible says that child already has a name. God already has a plan and purpose for that child's life. God loves the unborn. The grace of God. And finally, as we look at the grace of God in this passage of Scripture, verse 25. Well, let me read verse 24. After these days, his wife Elizabeth uh, conceived, and for five months she she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. What do we see in this passage of Scripture? God removed Elizabeth's disgrace. Elizabeth found grace, found the grace of God in her disgrace. Verse 25, you have looked on me to take away my reproach among people. That word uh, for reproach means to be Reviled. In the eyes of people, she didn't experience grace. She was disgraced. For a woman to not to be barren and not be able to have a, a child was was a very difficult thing in this in that culture because the culture believed that if you weren't able to have a child, there was sin in your life or there was sin in your husband's life. Uh, you weren't you didn't have favor in God's eyes. And for Elizabeth, who's fifty or sixty years old right now, she's been reviled. She has experienced the reproach of her people. She's experienced verbal abuse. She has experienced emotional and spiritual abuse. She's heard, you know, what's wrong, Elizabeth? Why isn't God blessing you? Is your husband not as spiritual as as he thinks he is? She's encountered this her whole married life. Imagine going to to a well to draw to wa- draw water for the home with the other women in the village. And she'll hear things like, Oh, did you hear that so and so is pregnant? Oh, God must have really loved them. And looking with condescending uh, words or or uh Uh, expression to Elizabeth. She experienced these things. She lived with these things her whole life. And now here she is in verse, these, these five months, 
She's been um, uh, just living in private for these five months, and the Bible says that she is worshiping the God, the God of Israel. God, you have looked on me, and you have taken away my reproach among the people. She's worshiping. She's praising God. She's thanking God for a, a mute husband who can't tell her what to do the, through these pregnancy months. But she is worshiping the God of the universe. Why? Because he's taken away her reproach. I want you to know, friend, God wants to take away your reproach today. Maybe you're like Zechariah and you've doubted and you've rebelled, but you've come to the end of the road and you know today that Jesus is your only hope. Jesus can take away your reproach. He is your great high priest and we come to him for the for, to confess and to find forgiveness because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Maybe you're here and you're like Elizabeth this morning. And you've experienced the reproach of the people. In the eyes of others, you are disgraced. You haven't been experiencing grace. My friends, this morning, God wants to give you his grace in your disgrace. The Bible says in Psalm 22, verse 6, that Jesus scorned the shame. When he went to Calvary's cross, he felt the shame. He felt the reproach. He took on the disgrace so that yours might be removed. And he wants to do that today if you'll just come to him by faith. Confess who he is, that he became your substitute so that your shame, your sin might be replaced by his righteousness. He wants to do that today. Let's pray. In the quietness of this moment, Jesus himself is standing before us. He's announcing, I can take away your sin. I can take away your shame. If you'll just believe in me. Have you confessed him as Lord and Savior of your life? You've not made that that decision. My friend, I invite you to make that decision right now. By faith, believe, don't doubt.
what God says he's going to do, he will do. God said he was going to send his servant, his son into the world, to the temple. He delayed for 400 years. God had a plan and in the fullness of time he followed through with his promise he announced he called upon John to be the prophet to prepare the way for the Lord John prepared the way for calling on the people to repent of their sin and turn to God my friend, if you'll just repent, call upon his name, he will save you. Are there some Elizabeths in this room this morning? God hasn't been answering your prayer, or you've been treated with disgrace by with disgrace in the eyes of others. You've been through emotional or physical abuse. Jesus is looking on you this morning. And Jesus wants to take away that reproach. Has he taken away your reproach? Find joy in that. Know that God has looked on you with favor. In a spirit of humility and gratitude, give thanks to him for the cross. This morning, we're going to celebrate all that Jesus has done for us. Father, I thank you for the timeliness of your word. God, I don't know everyone's background here in this room and why they're here this morning, but God, you do. And you have a message for all of us with a heart of worship and gratitude and thanksgiving. Jesus, we want to express our love, our adoration, and our allegiance in who you are in our life. We love you, and we give thanks for you today. In Jesus' name, amen.